Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Where ag and life collide. Brought to you by Gowan. Simon Gilroy, Gilroy Labs, Ag in Space. We talk it all right now. Hello, America, and a growing audience around the world. Welcome to Open Field Radio, raising the hip factor in agriculture. What an incredible, and I, I know I use that word a lot, but this this show, man, it's so much fun. It's so incredible. Simon Gilroy is with us, Gilroy Labs, University of Wisconsin. We're talking agriculture in space. This was not an easy interview to get. Now, Simon, Simon is gold. Simon is one of those guests you wish you could have every episode. He's just a ton of fun, super cool, and uh, you'll see. It's just really, really cool. And cool stuff. You're going to hear things today that you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. The thing is, you would never stop to think about it this way. And what happens in space, I guess, stays in space. It's kind of like Vegas, but different. But it stays there because to try and do it here or vice versa, it just doesn't work out that way. You're going to love this. You know, I was looking the other day. We are smack dab in the middle of season two of Open Field Radio. And we are so glad you're on this journey with us as we continue to build this show episode by episode, listener by listener. It is so cool. And it's fun to see the growing, growing, growing audience all the way around the world. From us here at Open Field Radio, to all of you, the listeners, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, participating with us. Thank you for your emails. I got a very nice Earth Day email the other day. Thank you very much for that. And uh, just your comments and all those kind of things, always welcome. Speaking of comments, don't forget, you can always check out openfieldradio.com. You need to check that out. If you like the show, please check that out. Subscribe if you'd like to. There is an occasional newsletter thing that goes out. And uh, we'd love to connect with you. You can always hit us up on WhatsApp. You can find us right there on the Open Field Radio site. There's a WhatsApp button. You can hit that and send us a message. It goes right to us. And we'd love to connect with you even more. Well, let's not mess around. We got a great show ahead of us. Get ready to go to space. This is totally incredible. We'll do it all in plus or minus 90 seconds. Open Field Radio. I don't know about you, but it seems like everywhere I turn right now, there's something about jobs and the abundance of jobs available out there. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career at Gowan? Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. Connecting with the best audience in ag podcasts. One episode at a time, one listener at a time. Open Field Radio. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you, you know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? I mow my yard, you mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting open field radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody, knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to open field radio, and by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. My name is James Little. I'm right outside Idlew, Texas, and I'm listening to Open Field Radio. Well, fasten your seatbelts. Let's get this started. We're going to space. Open Field Radio Season 2, Episode 18 with Simon Gilroy starts right now. Uh, Hello. Hello. (laughs) It works. I know. I'm always surprised when technology works. (laughs) How are you? 
I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I've got to tell you, this is hilarious. To me, it's hilarious. You are the first person to ever write me back and go, uh, we got to change our interview time because I got a meeting with NASA. <laughs> that has never, <laughs> never happened to me. So congratulations. So, well, you know, not all meetings with NASA are fun, but this was actually a fun one. I don't know where I don't know where to start. Of course, you you start thinking about all this, and every space cliche comes up. Every I mean, from Star Trek to Spaceballs to Saturday Night Live, Space Pants to everything. And so I'm just like, this is just totally killer. I'm kind of giddy about it because I know nothing about space, but since I was a child, space has always been the final frontier. Space has always been the thing. So space and agriculture, I'm just, I'm completely floored. This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> where does it start? Where did we, where did, where did the world get into space ag? So we've been, well, we, like not me personally, but well. um, uh, um, there's been rockets been launching for, you know, like something like 60 years, something right. like that. So yeah. it's, it's, we've, we've been doing it not a long time, but, you know, a relatively long time. And some of the first things that went up, which were alive, were actually plants. When it started, there was the very big question, both for people, but for plants, for every, any, any living thing that you can think about, could it survive when it's in space? And so there were that, when it started that way, it started with the super fundamental question of like, you know, we've, biology has only ever existed on the Earth. If you take it away from the Earth, does it still work? Um, and that's where it starts. And then it's just it's it's snowballed from that. That's crazy. That is just the wildest. And the fact that we're sitting here talking about it is just even even wilder. Yeah, I think it started with the the just that basic question. You know, like how much are we a thing of the Earth, and how much is all of the science fiction almost like a prediction of the future? That was oh, a big bit of man. Now you know whatever it is, sixty years on. There's still the what happens part to it. We're still very, very much at the beginning of understanding how everything works, be it what happens to astronauts or we want to grow plants in space, weird, weird things happen to them up there. Um, so there's, there's still the, the um, that just the, the curiosity component of it. Of, you know, we human beings want to understand things and we want to know what happens up there. And then there is really the, you know, the long-term picture here is we want to grow plants to help sustain astronauts when they're away from the planet for really long periods of time. Um, and so that's the space agriculture part of it is, and we're not there, we're nowhere near being there, but we've taken some pretty huge leaps towards being able to do it. So one of the benefits to doing this show and benefit being for me doing this show is I get to do the interview and then I get to edit and put the show together at a later date. And so the fun thing is, not only do I do the interview and have a dandy time talking with the guest, in this case, Simon, and he's a ton of fun, but I also get to relive that experience when I edit the show together. And I realized as I was putting this show together, I sound like a giddy kid. I sound super excited like a 10-year-old. It's just so exciting. You know, as a kid, and I was really, really, really small, and I'm going to date myself here, but the space race was in full swing. But the Gemini rockets were going up. Yes, I said the Gemini rockets. They were going up, and my mother would get me up 
every time there was a launch, through, all through the Geminis and into the Apollos and on and on. And it didn't matter what time of day or night it was. My mom put me in front of that TV and said, this is great. And it was great. And with that, I was too small to read. But my mother showed me that if I pulled this specific encyclopedia, great big book, lots of books, remember those? If I pulled this specific encyclopedia off the shelf with an S on it, and if I looked at the edge of the pages, there was a dark, yeah, you could see this dark section in the middle of this book. And if I flipped that open, it was all space. And I learned that as a little tiny kid before I could read, but I could flip through page after page after page after page of space and rockets and things. Man, oh man, the excitement of that has never, ever, ever gone away. You basically went right at one of my questions was, Ag in space, is this for sustaining our astronauts and our scientists and all our folks that are out there doing it? Is this for future ideas of sustaining life in another place, something else? Um, and, you know, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. That, you know, like, so all of that is on the table and all of that is in people's vision. But, you know, vision can go a really long way. So <laughs> we can put it into context. Like at the moment, Growing plants, we'll talk about the space station because that's kind of our spacey place. Right. Growing plants on the space station to the point of where astronauts will eat them, that has been done. Right? So we are there, but it's been done at the level of um, growing a few lettuce um, to the point where the astronauts, they've tended them, they've grown them, they are big enough to make a salad. Right? So that's that's been done. Growing pl enough plants to keep astronauts alive, we are a long, long way from that. Um, just think of how much area you would need to sustain just one astronaut if all of their food was being produced by space agriculture. So that's, that's sort of not realistic at the moment, purely because we just don't have the, literally don't have the growth area. But there's also a lot of other things to play into that. But people are already thinking about, you know, if we're going to have a sustained presence on the moon, how how are we going to supply things to the moon? And you will appreciate, it's pretty expensive to put things into space. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I can't even imagine what, you know, a head of lettuce would cost in space. Yeah, but, you know, you send up a seed. It's the awesomeness of, of agriculture. You send up a seed, you grow your food. So the what we would call the up mass, like the thing that goes up on the rocket, is pretty small for the return that you would get. That's one of the drivers to want to do the plant thing. There's a, there's a lot of different elements that plants give you. They give you the in space. They give you what you get on Earth. Right? They keep us alive on Earth. So the idea is, well, why don't we do that in space? So you know, they make the oxygen we breathe. That's be a good thing in space. That's a good thing. Um, they make the food you eat. A big one is that they provide a, like a factory to produce vitamins and things like that. And a lot of vitamins don't store very well for long periods of time. So if you've got your freeze-dried food... Sure, why not? You know, it'll probably be okay to eat, but its quality will degrade over time. And now, if we're talking Mars, we're talking about three years. You know, it's um, a, a trip to Mars that you would sort of think, how would we, we, how would we do it now? We could kind of get there and we could come back. But it's nine months flight out. And then because the Mars orbits outside the earth right so it's good, right. like um so it takes two years for the earth and the mars to, to get close again and you you're only going to fly backwards and forwards when you're close because the distances are astronomical ah, i see what you did there 
Um, and so you fly out. It takes nine months to get out. You've got to wait like a year, a year and a half for everything to line up again. And then you can fly back. So the, the most rapid like missions you can imagine are three years. And so how are you going to feed yourself and all that kind of stuff while you're there? And so plants are a big part of that equation. How are you going to feed yourself? You got a year and a half layover and you got to figure out how to feed yourself. That's like being at O'Hare or JFK. You've been there. I know you have, right? What are you going to eat? How long are we here? Holy cow, but I got somewhere I got to be. A year and a half, I'll take the tuna sandwich. And then there is one other one, which um, I think everyone who grows things would appreciate. And we're appreciating much more now that plants are being grown in space. Plants are just nice to have around. They are, aren't they? They, they? Yeah. And just being able to grow a plant has a huge psychological impact. And so we know that they just having being able to grow plants gives you the link back to Earth, which is a huge psychological boost for astronauts. So there's just, they just come up with a whole bunch of stuff which makes you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Where did you and Ag and Space collide? Where did this all come around for you? Um. I guess I guess I'm like you, you know. Like a, space has always been cool. Like oh, how yeah. could it not be awesome? Yeah. Uh, so I went to university and ended up studying, like finding the thing that was that floated my boat. Like was the good. Um, and so my research interests are in how plants do things. Uh, and the thing that I really, the thing that I find super fascinating. So the thing that my laboratory works on, like all the researchers in here, we all collaborate on, is how does a plant know what's going on? Because they clearly do. <laughs> they know when it's rain. They right. know what temperature it is. They know what time of day it is. They know what time of year. They, they, they know things, but they don't have the machinery that we have to know things. So that, that I find is super fascinating. So one of the things that plants clearly know is up from down. You know, roots, roots are pretty good at growing downwards and shoots are pretty good at growing upwards. Uh, and if you tip a plant on its side, you know, if a, if a crop lodges, it writes itself. They clearly plants understand up and down, but they don't do it the way we do. And so I've been really like, how does that work? And and here's the here's the secret: we still don't know. But <laughs> we've been working on that for a long time. But you know, that's a total NASA thing. Like NASA would love to know how biology understands the direction of gravity and work, and how gravity influences it. So the things that I'm I've been sort of interested in for decades. One of them is a real NASA focused thing. And so NASA has funded our research to try and understand that question. But then if you hang out with the NASA people, you understand all of the other things that NASA is interested in. And you begin to realize, you know, we work on that, too. And so there was just this great collision of sort of the, the interests and just the wonder about how plants work and real practical things that NASA wants to understand about how plants operate when they're in space, you know, in weightless environments. And then we just, just by real luck, we got the opportunity to fly some plants to the space station. And how, in, how are you not going to do that? Right. Yeah, no, I think we'll pass today. No, you don't say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there, there are so many questions about what plants do or what all biology does. What happens to astronauts? What happens to microbes? You know, how they interact all that in space that we just absolutely don't know it's it's a real undiscovered frontier uh, like every time that you make an observation in space it is kind of a new observation for a, for a scientist it's just an amazing place and by trade you're a you're a botanist yes yeah okay although don't ask me to identify plants okay we will know because yeah. you'd fool me every time it's okay you could tell me anything you want that's how much i know about it yeah yeah well you, you and i are found on the same page so. <laughs> okay let's go to lunch you're listening to open field radio 
We keep our boots muddy and our ears tuned to the thorny challenges of agriculture. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? Because it's the truth. The Gowan Group is a global, family-owned agriculture solution business headquartered in Yuma, Arizona. Gowan specializes in developing, marketing, and processing agricultural inputs such as crop protection products, seeds, and fertilizers. Gowan has grown markets in the majority of the agricultural regions globally. A deep respect for science and a passion for agriculture drives Gowan Company to help growers solve their critical pest and plant health issues. Let's say it together. Gowan Company. Let me start this by saying this is not a paid advertisement or something someone talked me into doing. This is just me, Mark, talking about something I really like. And what I really like right now are my brand new speakers in my studio here from IK Multimedia. The iLoud Micro Monitors. Whatever your listening status may be, so to speak, whether you work in a studio or you're at home or you need something great on your desk, I kid you not, these are mind-blowing. High-end sound without the high-end price, linear frequency response, zero coloration, transparency, headroom for days. To hear the truth, you need reference speakers that offer up, and these offer up. Do I sound excited? That's because I am. I'm mixing this very show on these speakers right now. They're that cool. Believe what you read. Believe the hype. The iLoud Micro Monitors from IK Multimedia. Check them out for yourself at ikmultimedia.com and tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. Quick shout out to some folks we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Big hello to Menno, South Dakota, Yuma, Arizona, Washington, D.C., New York, New York, Cincinnati, Ohio, Hedera, Israel, Medicine Hat, Canada, and Northampton, England. Thanks for listening. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. So when it comes to sending plants to space, does somebody make a list and go, hey, we need some of this, this, and this? Are you guys looking at it going, you know, we need to know why, how this is going to react in space, this particular whatever. What's the rhyme or reason as to what goes to space? So, so it's kind of a little bit of both the things that you said. So there's two reasons that people end up getting their plants in space, like, like uh, the questions they want to ask. One of them is a very the practical one, where they're, how are you going to do it? And it's, it's a crazy place. We can talk a little bit in a minute about, like, there's things that you just take for granted going to get screwed up, right? So it's going to be weird. <laughs> and so there's a very practical thing about how do you grow plants in space and how can you optimize everything? So that's one big part of it. And so the way that works is that, you know, maybe NASA will, will have, uh, we're interested in this. Does anyone have ideas about how we would test these ideas? So there's that component of it. And then there's another one, which is just that really fundamental curiosity. What changes in space for plants? And what does that tell you about what it means to be a plant? And so that end of things, you have an idea about a, about a thing which will change in space that should be interesting to NASA. And then NASA has these grant announcements where they'll solicit people to come to them and say, you know, I have this idea. Do you think this is the correct thing to do? And then that gets vetted. And if it, if it floats to the surface, you get to put your question into space. I like that. It's like yeah. the magic eight ball. <laughs> okay. Well, you said, you, you mentioned that uh, the astronauts have made a salad. They've grown it. They've made a salad. So that means what I'm guessing they've grown lettuce. And yeah. What else? Yeah. Um, so the, the so there are there are things called NASA target crops. Okay, there uh, we go. Which, That's a great term. Yeah, I like that. Which um, so you're not going to grow everything in space. Some things make no sense to grow in space at the moment. And so for for a farmer, you know, some of the crops which are the mainstays just are not the correct crops for space. 
Um, so corn is not really a great crop to space at the moment. <laughs> sure. And you can your mental picture of why sure. it's not it's exactly yeah. correct. So at the moment, because of we have pretty limited growth space, and it's like doing urban agriculture. It's all under lights. It's all in a controlled small space. And so it's got to be a relatively small plant, right? So corn, like full-size corn, like falls part of that level. Um, but also you want to be able to consume nearly all of what you grow. So leafy greens, like cabbage and lettuce and all those kinds of things, uh, radishes, they're all in that world. That is the kind of target crops which are mostly being grown. And so lettuce is a big one, but tomatoes are another big one. And you think, well, tomatoes doesn't fit then because, you know, you eat a pretty small proportion of the plant that you grow. Comparatively, yeah. Yeah, chilies is one. And then I'll, I'll give you a couple where you go like, no, you're breaking all the rules now. So there are a couple of target crops, strawberries and blueberries. And that doesn't seem quite right. But then, so there's the consume most of the plant, grow a crop for like food. But then there are other components of the space light environment that, that plants play into. And so one of them is that when you go away from the surface of the earth, you start getting more radiation. So there's the galactic cosmic rays shooting around the universe. There's radiation coming from the sun. And on the surface of the Earth, we are really, really protected from it. Like, and, and it's a good thing. Right. Now, I've done a lot of interviews, and people throw crazy stuff at you in the middle of the interview you never expected. This one, pretty close to the top right there, Galactic Cosmic Rays. I could study all day long for this interview and never get to the chapter on Galactic Cosmic Rays. I don't know anything about it. Uh, first thing that comes to mind, you know, is Godzilla, but it's a different kind of radiation, a different thing. And, you know, but if there was a giant cucumber or something huge trampling some city somewhere, first person I'd call would be Simon and go, is that it? Is that the cosmic rays right there? The galactic cosmic rays? Awesome. So the Earth's magnetic field deflects a lot of radiation away from us. But, you know, like the, the northern lights, the aurora borealis, that is radiation dipping down to the Earth. But we're protected from it, and I like it. It's a good thing to be protected from that kind of radiation. Once you start moving away from the Earth, you get further away from the magnetic shield that we have from the Earth. Then the levels of radiation that are in the universe the whole time, they suddenly become a big deal. And it's not, it's not like movie flesh melting from your bones kind of radiation. It's not, it's not that kind of radiation. But it is constant, and it's higher level than you would receive on Earth. And all biology gets a little bit of radiation, you know, like from rocks and things like that. But once you move out into space, it's just there the whole time. And it's, a, it's more. That's a whole side of it that the, the, the terrestrial earth farmer has never, never had to fight yeah, exactly. off. But you, you know that whole thing of that you should eat a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables because it's good for you? Yes. That, that doesn't change when you go into space. <laughs> Funny how that works. Uh, your mom is uh, right even in space. Exactly. Even in space, your mom is uh, right. And so the blueberries and strawberries, the reason that they're good for you, you know the other thing, eat lots of fresh vegetables. They're high in antioxidants. And antioxidants are a good way to protect yourself by your diet. Um, so blueberries and strawberries, the color of them is really, really high antioxidant. So if you eat blueberries and strawberries, you get a high dose of antioxidants. And it's kind of stuff that, that we know how to digest and we know how to take up all of that stuff because blueberries and strawberries and those kind of fruits have been part of our diet for you know millions of years. So what radiation damages 
is imagine there's a cosmic ray and it hits you. It's what does it do? You know, it, we know it's bad, but what does it do? Well, it causes some chemistry to occur, and the chemistry it does is oxidation chemistry. But antioxidants are the way to fight that. You grow blueberries and strawberries in space because it's a dietary way of uh, a thing called a radiation countermeasure. Right? You you are using your own biology to protect yourself against the damage that radiation produces in space. Amazing. It's yeah. It is a it is a very weird. I mean, it's you. Of course, it's weird. Yeah, like it's a exactly. Weird place to put, yeah, exactly. I yeah. love to hear you say that because in my head, I'm like, is this weird or am I out of touch or what? Well, no, it's weird, but it's super cool. Um, you know, so the weirdest thing. So this <laughs> go, is go go for it. This is not going to sound very weird to you, but it is. It, when you actually think about it, you can you, know, you start to go like, oh yeah, right. What is the, like the fundamental things about growing crops? Put the seed in the ground. Have good soil have some sunlight, and water them. And watering them, I mean, unless there's a drought or something like that, watering them is relatively straightforward. It either falls out of the sky or you have some kind of irrigation system. Mm -hmm. But you don't, like, you switch, like, the irrigation system, you switch on the water, it waters the plant. So now try and do that in space. You're reading my mind. How do you do it? It turns out that for all of the things related to growing plants in space, watering them, the hardest thing to do. So I was like, imagine that you've got your house plant, it's sitting in a pot and you're going to water it. You don't think about it at all. You take a watering can or a glass of water and you tip it in and it goes into the soil and you've watered it. And the worst thing that, that happens is you spill some water on the floor and you get shouted at by someone to clean it up or that you add too much water. Right? Which is, you know, that's the general thing of like why we end up killing houseplants is because we overwater them. So now go into space. You've got your watering can. You tip it on its side. Nothing happens. Because on Earth, you tip a watering can on its side and gravity pulls the water out of it. But we're in a weightless environment, so the water doesn't get pulled out. So you can literally, like if I, I have a cup of coffee on space and I do this, you can't get the coffee. You turn it on its side, the coffee doesn't come anywhere closer to you. So <laughs> astronauts drink with straws sure. or squirty bottles. And the way that you water a plant in space, almost everyone does it with a syringe. And you literally squirt the water and force the water into the soil. But now, now the world is going to get even weirder because if you take a syringe and like squirt it at, and you go too fast, the water bounces off the soil. Oh, wow. So do it slowly. Right? <laughs> and then if you think about water in the soil on Earth and just think of like you're looking at your field and, the, and it's rained, the water will slowly dissipate and disappear because gravity is pulling it down through the soil. So that's not going to happen. So what happens in, in space is you water and the water, it doesn't move by gravity. It moves by surface tension and capillary forces, like fundamental things about the chemistry of the atomic structure of water. But what it means is that water in space is creepy and sticky. Right? Whoa. So water will want to stick to surfaces. So if you, if you pour water on your hand in space, it will make a glove over your hand because it wants to stick to you. And if you put water on a surface in space, it will want to stick to the surface and then it will want to creep over the surface. So now get your mental picture of, the, of soil 
and you add water to it, what's going to happen is the water is going to stick to the soil particles and then creep over the surface of the soil. And eventually it will get to the plant. So that's not such a big deal, except if you add too much water, it will stick to the surface of the plant root and creep over the surface of the plant root. And if you've added really too much water, it will then continue to creep up the stem of the plant. And eventually, it will make a glove over the surface of the plant. Whoa. So many, many times in spaceflight, the issue has been too little or too much water. And if you add too much water, you get a plant, which is kind of like underwater. So it's almost like it's in a flooded field. And if you add too little water, you get the classic things of drought that you would see on Earth. The way that we do that kind of experiment to work out how to do that for spaceflight is we test everything on Earth, because like, where else are we going to test it? We have sure. to make certain it's going to work. Yeah. And then we put it into space. But because water behaves so differently in space to the way it does on Earth, the testing on Earth doesn't... Re it tests that everything works, but it doesn't tell you exactly what's going to happen. So there have been many cases in space where plants have had like fungus growing over the surface of them because they're coated in a layer of water. There was a really, really classic example where NASA was growing zinnias, the flowers, in space because the astronauts won't eat zinnias, so you can grow them to a full-size plant. So they have the zinnias growing, and then the zinnias start looking really terrible. And so then they look at them, and they realize that they have fungus growing on them because there's too much water. So they tell the astronaut, like, cut back on the water and turn the fans up to dry everything out. So they do that. And then a few, like, next day, the astronaut comes back and goes like, well, they're all wilted now. And they go, well, add a bit more water and turn the fans down. And then next day, you come back and go like, well, now they're all, like, covered with water again. And so because that you talk to astronauts, there's a delay built in. Like, you don't sure. get to talk to them. Yeah. You talk to someone who talks to someone who talks to them. So it was this going backwards and forwards. And then eventually the astronaut who's doing this, Scott Kelly, he just goes, can I just look after these plants? You know, i got a garden at home. You know, I could just tend these plants. You don't have to tell me what to do. I could look at them and work it out. And everyone at NASA goes like, yes! <laughs> but Scott Kelly is a really good gardener, and he just nurses them back to health the way that, like, if you were a gardener on Earth, that you would. And, you know, eventually, he got them to flower in space, and he made a... Valentine's bouquet for his significant other. There you go. Floating in space. It's just so cool. Mission accomplished yeah. right there. Well, how does this play into if gravity, let's, that's just only one element that's different in space than it yeah. is here. But first thing I think of, of course, is the time constraints or the expansion of anything you're going to have to do is going to take two and three and four and five times as long, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So this changes the whole dynamic of the planting and and the farming of it anyways. I mean, yep. and that's just with gravity. What else is affecting it in that kind of way? Yeah. So so one of the big currencies on the space station is time. Yeah. So crew time is, is as you can imagine. Yeah, the no. Astronauts, the astronauts are phenomenal because they do hundreds of experiments and hundreds of operations and they keep the, the station running and they, they're doing this constantly. But they, it's... It's like people asking them to constantly do something else. You know, okay, you finished that task. You you were watering some plants and photographing them. We'd like you now to do a spacewalk and repair the antenna. And then when you come in from that, could you do this thing where you set this thing on fire inside a box? Tons of, of different things, and they are really, really good at doing it. Um, but that means that their time becomes a 
big, big currency because things do take a lot longer in space, partly because everyone is being very careful. Oh, you know, yeah. And partly because things just, everything is just a little bit not the way it should work. Uh, and so you spend a long time when you are thinking about um, like a plant grow out or something like that. The ground-based stuff that goes into that, is there's a lot of what-ifs going into that. Um, and so, for instance, we just did a, uh, we did, we super, super lucky. We got to grow cotton on the space station. Really? But the lead up to growing the cotton on the space station was three years. Had the idea, think you know how to do it, and then spend a good couple of years realizing you really hadn't thought it through. <laughs> and that there were things that are just, you just totally didn't think about, you took for granted, which just don't work in space. And so one of the classic ones for the plant biologists in space is we'd like to get well, there's a there's a deep freezing on the space station. So we do experiments, we grow plants, and we'd like to know what those plants did. And some of the analysis we'd like to do, you can't do in space. We'd like to do chemical measurements or look at genes, and, you know, all the things which you require a, a laboratory on the Earth to work with. So we will freeze our samples in space. And then NASA has a thing I call a magic bag. Of course they do. They have a have a bag where you can take frozen samples, you put it in it. It's like a big beer cooler. And it just stays at like minus 30 degrees for like 10 days. So we can get frozen samples back down. That's awesome. We can do our science on those frozen samples. But just the simplest thing, right? So you have your plants growing in space. And what you want to do is with a pair of tweezers, you pick up a plant. And then you've got a tube. And you put the plant in the tube, right? And and you, you have a very clear mental picture of, like, how that will work. Sure. But the roots don't go down, right? There's no down. So you hold the, the tube underneath the plant <laughs> and try and lower it in. It doesn't lower in. Right? Now, the plant roots are probably going to be damp. Remember, water becomes sticky in space. So you try and put the plant in, and the roots stick to the tube. So there's this thing called the root twirl which is worked out by one of the astronauts, where you hold the plant with these um, pair of tweezers, and you do this. And the roots wrap around, and then you can push it into the oh, tube, and then pull it up. It's all stuff like that, where things that you just go, I didn't even think that this was going to be an issue, turn out. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the whole idea that NASA might have a cool beer cooler up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is fascinating. This is absolutely amazing. What about light? It's grow lights. I'm sure it's grow lights. But yeah. that said, I, I can get my head around this. I've seen the pictures. I get it. And at the same time, everything you're telling me just kind of throws it all against the wall. So the, the lighting, the, there's very expected part of the lighting, and then there's very unexpected part of the lighting. I'll talk about the, the expected part first. The expected part is LEDs. LEDs are phenomenal. Um, probably a lot of people who are, who are listening to this, they will grow plants you know, indoors that have LEDs and, and, and they work really well there. The reason that NASA went the LED route almost as soon as LEDs became realistic is because uh, power is also a big deal in space uh, and LEDs are super efficient. So the light caps that go over the grow areas on the space station, they're all LEDs. They're very power efficient. They tend to be blue and red LEDs because, you know, you to grow plants, under LED light, you only need blue and red light, and the plants will grow perfectly fine. But a green plant under purple lights looks black. Ooh. And remember, there's a big psychological bit to the plants. And so in the 
mixed in amongst the LEDs, the blue and red LEDs, which are driving photosynthesis for the plant growth, there are green LEDs. They get switched on so that the astronauts can see what the plants look like. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, right? Gowan USA has a broad selection of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides to deliver customized solutions for your crops. Gowan provides the right programs to fit your unique needs, standing behind our products with expert service and support. And Gowan USA is family-owned and operated right here in the United States of America for over 55 years. That's a long time. Check it out for yourself at gowanco.com. And now you know. I love to tell you about things that I like. And that's the only reason I want to tell you about them. And if you're like me, I take notes on post-it notes on anything. I'll write something down. But then what? I lose them, right? Well, here, if you're like me in that way, get yourself the Adobe Scan app. I love this thing. Get it on your phone, right? On anything you want. That's right. Get the app out. It's Adobe. Come on. It's going to be quality. Snap a shot of your notes with the camera in the app. Bingo, bango, bongo. You save it. It's a PDF in your phone just as you wrote it. From there, you can share it or do whatever else you want to do with it. But the one thing you won't do, I promise you, you won't lose it. Adobe Scan in your favorite app store. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest from Gilroy Labs, Simon Gilroy. What about, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, but what about, you know, are there weeds? Are there disease? Are there those kind of things in space? Uh, um, so generally not weeds because what goes up, Yeah, I'm going to tell you something and then I'm going to immediately contradict myself. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what goes up into, on the space station is very closely controlled, right? So plants that go up. It, it's going to be seeds. Those seeds are going to you. You account for everything that goes after, that and they're probably going to have been very carefully cleaned. And so, weeds are not really the issue. Um, but the space station is not sterile. Right? So we, are, you know, there, there's these two big sort of um, ends of the spectrum of what space is meant to be like. And I always go, one of them is Star Trek, and Star Trek is <laughs> everything's clean yes. and. And then the other end of it is the trash compactor in Star Wars. And we are way more in the trash compactor end of the world. Makes me happy. So the, the space station is equivalent, like the way to think about it, it's a six-bedroom house where about six people have lived for about 20 years and they've never cleaned. So college. Yeah. <laughs> 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 got it got it uh, so uh, so the reality is is that everything gets sterilized everything gets super clean you know it's all like the but there are people up there and you can't clean an astronaut like the microbes that are, you know they're going to be microbes that go up because people are there and so there's a lot of microbes on the space station and so there are actually plant pathogens which are up there and so one of the that's one of the things that happens with the watering thing you get a layer of water on the plant and then there are just, it's just how it's always going to be. There are going to be plant pathogens there. There's going to be fungi that start growing in that water. And that's one of the things which is a, a problem for the plants up there. The water that's there, it's trucked up there, yes? Yeah, yep, yep. Okay. So all this plays into, hmm, I got this much water, I got this much time, and I got this yep. seed. And, I mean, it just it begins to be a calculating nightmare. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's all... As you would imagine, it's all choreographed and super well done yeah, now. Yeah. But if you also think about the time that it takes for a crop to grow, and at the moment there's um, a grow station called the Advanced Plant Habitat. Imagine 
two foot by two foot by two foot box. That's the volumes we're thinking about. So there's a place to grow plants there. And then there are two equivalent sort of things um, called the veggies. And the veggies are about two foot by two foot by two foot. But, you know, that's pretty much getting to the limit of our big grow areas. So if you lock up one of those for four months with a crop, you can begin to see how, like, the facilities to do the growing become a time, the, the scheduling within them, the time within them becomes a big deal as well. So in order to, so let's just be hypothetical, and it's not hypothetical in your world, I'm sure it's being talked about, but what has to happen, how much space is needed in space, where there's nothing but space, but how much space is needed to actually grow things that would be life-sustaining? I mean, to a quantity that we go, oh, down here we look at acres. What are you looking at in space and how do you do it? Yeah, you can imagine. There are some pretty awesome people at NASA who've done that, who've worked it out. Um, because the, the, there's that big question, is it just pie in the sky? You know, is this um, totally unrealistic? Because we're not going to have a spacecraft with an acre of grow area in it. Not in the foreseeable future. Anyway. Right. It's all going to be hydroponics. That's the, the idea at the moment. Once we get to a planetary surface or onto the surface of the moon, we might be able to use some of the regolith, like the rocks and stuff there. As, as a substrate. But at the moment, the controlled high yield is all through hydroponics. So that's kind of where everyone's thinking we're going to go. And if you crank the whole system up and you get hydroponics working pretty much as best as anyone has ever got it, you're talking about 50 square meters. If you had 50 square meters and nothing goes wrong, then that is the minimum that you can really get away with. That's kind of the calculations. So the reality is at the moment, we're nowhere near that. And so we're not thinking that we're going to feed astronauts with the plants they grow. The plants are going to be a supplement. And you're going to have to ship food with the astronauts because the how else you can do it. Now, can you really have a show about space and agriculture in space and anything in space? Forget agriculture, anything in space. Can you really have a show with anything in space and not talk about space movies? Everybody's got a favorite space movie of some kind, whether you're into Star Wars or E.T. or that's going back a ways. But you got classics like The Right Stuff. You've got Apollo 11 and Apollo 13. You've got, what was the one with Bruce Willis? Armageddon. Steve Buscemi. He says, I got a front row seat to the end of the world. And of course, you can't forget the alien movies or any of those kind of things. So I guess my question is, what's your favorite space movie, an outer space movie? And which ones really grow anything? Does anybody grow anything in space in these space movies? I don't know. Let's see what Simon says. Did I just say Simon says? Wow. Has Hollywood helped this at all? I mean, everybody's mental image of space and trying to get anything done in space seems to end with disaster. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I talk to people like you. They're like, you know what? It's really difficult out there, but it's really cool. Right. So there are some some Hollywood movies about space. I mean, we're, we're not talking about like the the fantasy ones, but like in <laughs> lots of ones that have more of a component of like they they've tried to make it seem real. There are some which which as a scientist you just cringe at, like because but they're, they're good stories, right? So <laughs> right. That, and that's really what it's. But there are there are a bunch of of Hollywood movies where they've tried to get it right and they totally sort of push you in the direction of thinking how it's going to work. I mean, the, the classic one for the plant biology world has was The Martian. Sure. You know, when The Martian came out, we were cool people for like six months. And then we're back to being botanists today. <laughs> and that was that. And, and The Martian, within the lab here, there are a bunch of like the space group. Like um, um, we work 
this is where we were, so this is what we think about. And we went and watched The Martian together. <laughs> and there were periods within The Martian when looking at all of the other people who know this area, you could see we were all cringing because it's not how it's going to be. <laughs> but then for the rest of it, we're going like, yeah, like that's pretty close. I can, yeah, that's kind of how you went. Yeah, you know that thing which doesn't seem like it should be the way it is. That's the way we think it's going to be. Yeah. Well, thank you, Hollywood. Yeah. Just don't blow things up because that's not what <laughs> yeah, we apparently want. That's not a good thing in space. I've seen that multiple times. It never <laughs> ends well in space. And just for clarification, you are not in space right now. I am not in space right now. <laughs> good. Okay. I was going, you know, given the option, I, who wouldn't? Right. But if one of the one of the commercial launch people came and said, "I right, tomorrow, you will go up," you know, I'd be putting on the spacesuit now. I, Who wouldn't? I got one yeah. right back here waiting. Yeah. Um, just don't stay there for too long. No, that's I the, don't want to stay. I just want to look. I just want to yeah. look. Say I've been, yeah. you know, and uh, get a sticker that says I've been. Come right on back. Come <laughs> right on back. Will there ever be an opportunity for for you to go? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, yeah, yeah. You travel the, in the right circles, that's for sure. The the great thing is that because of this um, sort of a little bit of a shift where the launch provider is not NASA. There's, there's SpaceX and um, Blue Origin. There are companies that do this. What that's meant is that the – so NASA NASA's building just an enormous rocket to go to the moon and Mars, right? So that's where NASA's rocketry thing is going. So what they do is they buy rides into space from the commercial uh, providers. I see. Um, and so that what that's meant is that there's a much more regular access to space, which means that the possibility of you not being an astronaut but being a scientist and going into mm -hmm. space, right. that that is just going up and up. And I I tell the the all of the um, researchers in the lab, you know, like all of the undergraduates who are working in here, like you could, I'm pretty certain you are going to be able to go into space. That is an, not an unrealistic view in because we're talking like, you know, like a couple of decades' time, it's realistic to think that it will be routine. That is just so cool. Isn't it? It's, it is. It's, it's so crazy cool. It sounds like science fiction, but we're getting there. We are totally getting there. Well, talk to me about your lab. Tell the listeners all about it, what you do, and how it got started, and all the things. It's a cool site, by the way, but I'll let you tell the story. <laughs> um, we're we're a, a university research lab. Right. So I split my time between teaching and doing research. Um, the guys who work in the lab, everyone's interested in kind of this, this question of how the plants know what's going on. Uh, and a lot of people in the lab are interested in how the plants know what's going on in space. Yes. But we have some, some big things that we would like to understand. And so this is what the guys in the I always go, I'm the front man from there. Like all the good stuff is what they do. And then I just get to talk about it. There you go. Um, so there are the big things that we're, we're interested in, which are related to sort of space flight. One of them is flooding. We want to know how plants respond to flooding, because when you grow a plant in space, it's got water stuck to the surface of it. That is flooding. We're also interested in how plants deal with low oxygen environments, which is also going to sound a little bit weird. But now I'm going to tell you another weird thing about space. Because right. it's all weird space. It's stuff. all weird. Imagine a hot air balloon on Earth, right? And so it rises because you heat up the air inside the balloon. That air expands, it weighs less, and it floats upwards. So a hot air balloon doesn't rise in space because the weight doesn't count anymore. You're in a weightless environment. So you have this hot air balloon, and the air inside weighs less, but that doesn't make it float up. So um, there is no buoyancy in space. Right? So if you went swimming 
in a swimming pool in space. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do it first things first. Yeah, yeah, you'd never get the water off you. Yeah, the water would stick to you, yeah. and you like you would you're guaranteed to drown. Yeah, right? it's that's like, a given. Uh, yeah. yep. um, boats don't float in space. All the things where you think of like like buoyancy things. So there is one thing which is going on around everyone who's listening to this at the moment, and they are not thinking about it at all, but it's just happening. Is that air, like you are hotter than the world around you. So the air around you is warm. So it's rising up away from you, just like that hot air balloon. So that is um, convection, right? There's hot air rises. That's the process of convection. Convection does not occur in space. Oh, so this is now going to be, what does that mean? All right, so we can do some things like, well, okay, probably a lot of people are listening to this on like a laptop, right? Your laptop gets hot but it cools itself down by the hot air rising away from it. So your laptop is, is cooled by convection, by this movement of hot gases. Laptops don't get cooled that way in space. So if you switch your laptop on in space, it fries itself. It's done. Yeah. So this is, gonna, <laughs> this is gonna be a weird thing to think about. This is one of those ones where in space, in space flight, I think there's some things that you could guess. And then there's a bunch of things that if somebody tells you about them, they make perfect sense. You never guess them. And this buoyancy and convection thing is one of those ones I think that, like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. I would never have guessed it. So here are the weird things that happen. you got your plants. Yeah. You switch the lights on. Well, you, we all know if you go outside when the sun is, is beating down on you, you get hot. And you cool down, and you cool down by sweating, and also by convection moving that heat away from you. So if you're a plant, you also get hot when the sun beats down on you, and you Cool yourself down in a very similar way. You lose heat by the hot air around you being moved away from, by convection. There is no convection in space. So if I put a plant under lights in space and switch the lights on, I cook the plant. So what you have to have in all of the growth chambers, you have to have fans that are constantly actively moving the air around. Otherwise, you have this problem of these big thermal gradients building up. Now you know. Go and watch some videos of astronauts inside the space station, and you'll see either you'll see a fan somewhere in the field of view, or you'll see things blowing around, because this this lack of gas movement is a big deal in space. Well, this gets more and more complex as it goes on, and it sounds almost counterintuitive. Yet I know I understand why we're doing it. I understand the end, you know, the end game here. But to get to it for what we already do almost sounds like you just want to go ah. And, you know, run away. But this, this is the awesome thing about plants and agriculture. So we feed an enormous number of people with the output of agriculture. Sure. Agriculture, pretty amazing. Absolutely. The number of people who are involved in actually really doing the hard work relative to the amount of stuff that comes out, it, I always just think, I just it, it blows your mind. It does. And that is from thousands of years of trial and error and getting it wrong and breeding and doing all the things that everyone who's involved in growing plants knows has gone on. And we've just got, I think we've got really, really good at doing it. I mean, we want to get better and we'd like it to have less inputs and all of the good stuff about being, being more sustainable. That, stuff, that is all good. But we are pretty good at growing plants. And we've been trying to do that for 60 years in space. It's a pretty good analogy. Pretty good analogy. Yeah. We're working it out. And it's going to be different because the rules are a little bit different. But we know from how, how just amazingly good it is on Earth. We know how to get there 
It's just that the problems we're going to solve are going to be a little bit different in space. We, we're right at the beginning of, of space agriculture. We, we're just we're doing all the things that the original agricultural sort of pioneers were doing. And you get things wrong, and you take little baby steps here and there, and eventually you end up with a system which is going to be pretty productive. But it may be that the plants that we need in space are not the plants that we need on Earth. Like the agricultural productivity in space is going to be pushed in a, maybe we have to do I don't know, like different breeding or genetic engineering or something to tailor plants to a particular part of the spaceflight environment, which they just haven't had to deal with on Earth. That's awesome so right there. That's we're, a cool thought right there. Yeah, we're, we're just trying to work out what that, what that environment is and how plants work in it to work out what we need to do. Yeah, and what it looks like and we yeah, no, that's 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 a cool that's a cool thought right there. It has to be tailored to space in order to function right in space. Yeah. What's the soil like? What are you planting them in in space? Is it is it soil that's taken there? Is it something is it not soil at all? What is it? If we could work with soil, everyone would love it. Soil soil is the right thing. Like that's that's plants plants work. Yeah. The conundrum for us is that soil is way too complex. And so most of what is grown in space flight is some variation on a hydroponics seed. So either through hydroponics, which you know now you know how water is so complicated in space, through hydroponics is very, very hard to do. Or what most of the sort of the big grow outs are done in is, um, you know, a lot of hydroponics has uh, clay pellets as a physical substrate. So it's done in those. The, the classic one, which is used a lot, is sort of the mainstay is arcelite, which is actually, it, it truly is the stuff that they make pitchers' mouths out of. Yes. Baseball made it to space. I'm yeah. a happy guy. Really? That stuff, that's the stuff they use. Yeah. And it's just filtered and sieved to get the right particle um, size. But it's, it's great. It's, it's silica. It's inert. Um, and so you can add fertilizer to it. You can add water to it. And it's a pretty well-defined sort of medium. And it, it works really well when plants have a physical medium for the roots to grow into. And you can imagine in space, it's a, it's a bit, it's a weird place, right? <laughs> the roots don't grow down because there's no down. There's no down. So usually the way it's, it's set up, the plants look pretty normal. So there is something that's making roots grow in one direction and shoots grow in the other direction. And a lot of times that's the lights. So roots want to grow away from the light right. and shoots towards the light. But then the, the roots grow into a, if they grow into a physical media, the roots will branch and do the things much more like a normal plant would do. A lot of times for us, we use a like a clear gel, like Jello, where we, um, we we impregnate that with nutrients and water. We just use that as our medium. And plants grow perfectly fine under those conditions. Well, this is a point in the show where I normally ask the guest, what's the future of you know whatever the topic is? And yours, <laughs> you are the future of. But is there anything you can tell us that's like happening right now that we can kind of go, and keep our eye on. Yeah. Um. So there. Um. So there. There's going to be a steady set of plant experiments, plant growouts going on on the space station. So that's going to be happening. Um. There's, recently, there was a, an absolutely awesome one called the Space Chili Challenge, yeah. where they were. Um, uh, what was it? It was Martinez Chimeo chilies grown on the space station, and then there's this absolutely awesome guy at a Kennedy Space Center, Jacob Torres. And he ran a Facebook challenge where you could get the seeds and you could grow the chilies yourself. And then it was a challenge how big chilies you could get. Like these are the ones growing in space at the same time. Nice. Can you get them to be bigger? 
And you could also send them off and they would do uh, analysis for the capsaicin and who could grow the hottest chili. And then that was in comparison to the ones which are growing in space. So there's stuff like that which is going on all the time. There are a couple of big landmarks which are going to start to unfold that people may not have heard about. Um, so we're, like the vision, there's the space station, low Earth orbit, right? That's going to continue and that's going to be absolutely awesome. And like I say, access to that is going to become more and more regular and so we're going to see more and more stuff going up. Okay. The other vision is moving towards the moon now. And so there is plans for a space station that will orbit the moon. That is called the Deep Space Gateway. And that's going to start to materialize over the next few years. And Gateway will be the gateway. Gateway is, is designed to be the gateway to get to regular access to the moon for, for astronauts. You know, there will be people wandering around on the moon. Uh, playing golf and all the things that they do there. No, they will. Yeah. Uh, and also, that's the test bed for putting your vision towards somewhere like Mars. So that is all coming down the pipe. It, it, I mean, the, I presume that everyone goes, this has got to be the most exciting time to be around. But this, tr this really is super. Pretty cool. Things are moving really fast and super, super exciting in the space world at the moment. Another weird thing about space. Sure. Weird thing about space is that, as like a non-astronaut or not somebody working from NASA, you don't think you can get into it. You don't think that how how could I contribute to anything like this? But there are all of these programs going on, focused on plants, and people can grow plants, and they are all related to everyone contributing to the to the mission of getting people off the planet and living out there. Um, I'll give you an, another one. Yeah. Um, Fairchild Botanic Gardens, just outside of Miami, runs a program called uh, Growing Beyond Earth. And this is just so awesome. So this they distribute to uh, high schools all around the country, a uh, little growth chamber. And then one of the plant uh, science researchers uh, at Kennedy Space Center, Joya Massa, has a list of NASA target crops. And it's huge, and they can't test them all. So they ask the high school kids to grow the plants, and how easy are they to grow? Do they taste any good? You know, how fast do they grow? And, and all of that pre-screening of lots of different varieties of plants. The guys at Fairchild run this program, and it's a filter for true crop selection information that goes to NASA. So there are ways to become involved and, and just sort of get in there, and they're all sitting out there, and, and yeah, it's just, it is pretty awesome. <laughs> You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.